It's good to be here this morning. In our scripture text this morning and our study is Psalm chapter 19. I'll be using the, the New King James Version for, for this. And this psalm teaches us that we should expose ourselves regularly to God's word, the scriptures, and allow the truth he reveals in them to transform us. But before we begin our study of this psalm, I have a confession to make that I have times when the pressures of life get me down. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I begin my day sometimes a little grumpy, <laughs> a little fearful, or worn down. Hopefully, anyway, I'm human. <laughs> but I also have the privilege in my daily work to have an intense study of the Bible. And I find that it lifts me up, it gives me perspective, and it revives my spirit. And the study of God's Word is one of the most enjoyable things that I get to do. And I come away from those times happier, happier, a happier person. Sometimes it doesn't last long, but I come away from the study happier. And then the pressures of life start to get you down. <laughs> That is one reason God gave us the scriptures. And Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's John 10, verse 10. And it's through the scriptures that we meet him and grow to know him better. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul wrote to his friend Timothy and said, reading from the New Living Translation, but you, Timothy must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then Paul went on to explain verses, in verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All of this brings us to our text, our study this morning in Psalm chapter 19. And the theme of this psalm is the revelation of the glory of God. And in it, David contemplates the perfect revelation of the Lord. In verses 1 through 6, God is glorified in his creation. In verses 7 through 11, God is glorified in his word, the scriptures. In verses 12 through 14, God is glorified in his redeeming people which is simply a desire for transformation. And this desire for transformation is a hopeful one. The word let in verse 14 is a word of faith, of hope. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The Christian's hope in this regard is in my strength 
and my Redeemer. And because of who God is, our strength and our Redeemer, we have every reason to believe that we can change. But I can change. <laughs> Talking to me here. We therefore cry out, Lord, change me. Transform me, Lord. And we are reminded in Hebrews 6, verse 19, that hope is the anchor of the soul and that faith is the anchor of our hope. So if hope is the anchor of the soul and if faith is the anchor of hope, then what is the anchor of both? And the answer is Scripture. Scripture is the anchor of faith which anchors our hope which in turn anchors our soul and sure and steadfast. I had to read all that because it's kind of a tongue twister for me there, but anyway, that's what it is. And verse 14 here in Psalm 19 is a very hopeful verse. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? Verses 1 through 6 begins with, God's gift of a general hope. And King David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What a remarkable words these are. Three thousand years before anyone came up with the phrase, intelligent design, David testified of it in a song. And look at the main affirmation that David makes. He says in verse 1, it is that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, or sky, shows his handiwork. In Psalm 8, verse 1, David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. And in verses 3 and 4, he wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? And here in Psalm 19, David again calls our attention to the starry heavens to see how they testify of the glory of God. They are but the work of God's fingers. Exclamation mark there. Yes, just the work of his fingers. And then look at how David expands on that main affirmation about the testimony of God through the heavens. And first he says in verse 2 that this testimony is continual. Day after day utters speech. Night after night reveals knowledge. In the original language, the declaration of God's glory through the heavens is presented as something that is going on continually. They unceasingly declare him. 
And second, he says, this testimony is universal. Verse 3, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God speaks of himself through the heavens in a universal language that all people, groups of the world can hear and understand. And third, he says in verse 4, their line, that is their sound or voice, has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. No one will ever be able to say, I didn't hear about the glory of God. Everyone can see it by looking up into the sky. And continuing in verse 4 through verse 6, David tells of how God testifies of himself in the heavens. He says, in them he has set a tabernacle, that is, a home in the heavens for the sun. There is no heavenly body so wonderful as the sun. And in the ancient Middle East, the sun was often thought of as a god, small g. In this poem, the sun is but a stunning symbol of the Creator, which is, in verse 5, he says, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. This means that the sun is pictured as celebrating its creator. And its rising in verse 6 is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So according to these verses then, creation reveals at least two important things to us. First, we are not alone. There is a creator. There is a purpose to our existence. There is meaning. Therefore, there is hope. And second, now, if all we had was the creation to tell us about God, we would be in very serious trouble. Because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, all of his offspring, including us, have offended our Creator and are therefore under his wrath. Well, thankfully, it is not a hopeless trouble. The very fact that creation grabs our attention shows that there is hope for us. Creation bears testimony to the existence the power and the wisdom of God, but it does not show us how to be right with God. We need a clear revelation than what we can derive from creation. And so the psalmist goes on to show us in verses 7 to 11 that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Creation testifies to the fact that we stand condemned before a holy God. The scriptures tell us how to get right with him. Our hope of salvation is rooted in an authority that we can completely trust
to change and to charter our lives. And in these verses, 7 through 9, the hope of salvation is displayed in several ways. First in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. That is, it is complete and entire. And this perfect law displays its perfection by converting the soul. And the word converting describes a return, a transformation, a restoration. And David said in Psalm 23, verse 3, He restores my soul. If verse 14 is our hope, then God's word will be our authority. For as Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. God's word changes us and gives us reason to be hopeful. And second, continuing in verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure or trustworthy. And what this tells us about God and his will for us is a firm and solid foundation and you can rest your eternity upon it. And third, in verse 8, the statutes, the commandments of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word, scripture, is right. It is the map book for life. And if we have the map, why should we worry about where we are going? Our confidence comes from the fact that we have a God-given map. And if we follow its instructions, it will lead us to where we are supposed to be. If we obey the word, we will be made more like Christ. And the result is that we will be able to sing, to rejoice. And the more we obey God's word, the more we will sing joyfully. Smile. <laughs> Just leave the things behind, right? And fourth, continuing in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the word pure means making clear, of being free of impurity. If we follow God's commandment, we will walk in a way that is pure before him. God's word enlightens the eyes. It clears up the dark so that we can live in the light. This changes our countenance. Our countenance is our face. Good thing. <laughs> Psalm 42, verse 11, reading from the NLT, David asks, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. The word of God enables us to see the love of God in the midst of hardships from the hand of God. And the word, scripture, reveals God to us who is the light of the believer's life. Psalm 21, verse 1 the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom, <clears throat> excuse me, shall I be afraid? <clears throat> In fifth, verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. God's self-revelation in his word is clean, pure. That is, it is incorruptible. It is faithful and fulfilling its promises and its claims. And the judgments of the Lord are true in the sense that they are firm and reliable. And they are righteous altogether in the sense that when they are held in union with one another, they prove utterly just. And what a picture these verses present to us of God's word. And notice the result of God's word. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. And it endures forever. And no wonder David expresses its great worth in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. God's word is to be valued more than the most precious of material things. And when it is tasted, it is found to be sweeter than the most delightful of foods. And what's more, David expresses the impact he anticipates God's word will have in his life when he says in verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now this verse tells us that there is both a negative advantage and a positive advantage to the scriptures. Negatively, God's word warns us of the dangers and pitfalls of sin. And positively, God's word keeps us from stumbling and falling in sin, which will result in great benefits and blessings. This psalm teaches us that a careful and reverent study of creation will make a person hungry for the clearer revelation of the scriptures. The more someone sees of God through his creation, the hungrier he or she will become for the clearer truths of his word, the scriptures. They will desire to please and worship the creator in truth, and they will long for his transforming power of God's word to be brought into effect in them. And this then leads us to two final observations from this psalm. The God who reveals himself in creation transforms us as we examine ourselves by scripture. Verses 12 to 14. David notes the truth about himself. In fact, the truth about everyone on earth. In the first part of verse 12, he asks, Who can understand his errors? And David is asking here, Who can really look at himself or herself and be objective? Who has the capability of knowing where, where we are right or where we are wrong? Who has the ability to steer their own lives? If it were up to our own powers, we would all compare ourselves with each other. And all of us would come out looking good. 
we wouldn't arrive at the truth about ourselves. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We need God's clear word in written form to correct us and to guide us. Hebrews 4 verses 12 to 13 tells us, The word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are made naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. More than the shining of the sun, we need the truth of God's word to shine upon us. Now continuing in verses 12 and 13, David goes on to pray, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So how does this happen? It's through the provision of God's word, the scriptures. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11 says in the NLT, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. David has taken us through a look at both creation and scripture. Creation testifies to the God who was there and who deserves to be worshipped. But it doesn't tell us all that we need to know. When we see this great God who has made all things, his work of creation tells us many things. But it does not tell us how to become right with him. We need more. And so scripture is given to teach us how to become right with him. It teaches us how to be saved from our sins by the sacrifice of God's Son. And it teaches us how to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. And I would suggest to you that a good, careful look at both creation and Scripture in their proper order, with the first one being interpreted by the second one, Will result, will result in the sort of prayer that David prays at the end of the psalm. May it be your own, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God has provided our only hope. But the bad news is that none of us will realize the fullness of verse 14 in this life. The bad news is that we will frequently fail in this life. 
The good news, however, is that our hope is legitimate because there is one, Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law of the Lord. He kept the statutes, the commandments, and the judgments of the Lord. He obeyed God's rules. He feared the Lord. And he personified wisdom. And the result is that he is the only one worthy to be called our Redeemer. And because of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone, Romans 8, verses 1 to 4, says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That sounds familiar. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are acceptable in God's sight in Christ. Indeed, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, verse 27. Our hope is a sure hope, found and rooted in the Scriptures. So I ask, is Christ your hope of glory? I trust that it is. And shall we bow in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to look into this wonderful song this morning and have our hearts renewed to the joy of its glorious truth. Father, give us a love for your truth. And may we never take it for granted. May we never wander away from it, but to live and move and have our being in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.